It's been seven weeks. Hard to believe. Seven weeks since we have looked at the story. Our goal this year is just being able to look at the whole Bible from the very beginning in Genesis all the way to Revelation to give perspective to be able to focus on our amazing God, our God that is so worthy to be worshipped. A God that if we just open our eyes, we are blown away so often. We are on a journey. And, and we're reading and learning about the God of the Bible. A God who is loving. A God who is faithful. A God who is just. A God, well, someone that we can sing about. We're learning God's actions and thoughts are different than ours. Yet the more we understand God, the more we are drawn to Him. Just a few weeks back, some of you know, I had the opportunity to go up to Silver Birch and to be able to teach a course. It's a course called the Disciplines or the Spiritual Disciplines. Actually, what I'd like to name it is, well, get to know God, love Him with all your heart, and serve Him with everything you got. But it was too long, at least the title. And so I got an opportunity to, to spend a week with these students and to be able to walk them through some of the scriptures and be able from, from morning, well, till we quit. Just who is God? How big is he? How gracious is he? And after we establish that, we're able to say, well, how can you connect with this God? And then not only how can you connect, because your life will change but how do you help others do the same thing? And that's our premise, whether you've been here for 25 years or 25 Sundays. We talk about God a lot because we're convinced that if we understand who God is, we will be drawn to Him. Well, God desires a relationship with us which began way back in the garden. And so many of you know that story. It did not go well. We're not sure how long it took, but eventually both Adam and Eve decided to go their own way, to do their own thing. And the relationship with God was broken. What God desired deeply to be able to just have a relationship with each one. And so he began to devise ways and where he could pursue us in spite of our unfaithfulness or our selfishness. And God raised up leaders to point us back to him. And we've talked about Moses, we've talked about Joshua, we've talked about Samuel. But seven weeks ago, if I could say this, we got a clear picture of a leader that misses the mark. A leader who partially obeyed. A leader that for the most part looked really, really good on the outside. He was tall. He was handsome. He was strong. 
But somehow he thought he could bend God's words. And I'm going to start off in 1 Samuel, and you can open your Bibles there, to chapter 28. And it's near the end of Saul's life. And it's actually kind of sad, but, but this is what Samuel says to Saul, the king. Why ask me, since the Lord has left you and become your enemy? The Lord has done just as he said he would. He has torn the kingdom from you and given it to your rival David. The Lord has done this to you today because you refused to carry out the fierce anger against the Amalekites. Ah, we talked about that some weeks back. But the truth was is that King Saul maybe obeyed 95% of what God asked him to do. But he didn't completely obey. And we look at it, especially in our culture, and we, well, I mean, are you serious? So Saul doesn't do exactly what God wants, just a few things often, and God's going to disqualify him? As a leader? What's that all about? That doesn't seem to make sense. But Saul, we learned, was a deceived leader thinking partial obedience or mostly obedient is obedience. Even today, so much of our culture think God marks on the curve. How many times have you asked somebody, hey, where, where do you think you're going to end up for eternity? Well, if I do a little bit more good than I do bad, whoa, I'm in. Just not sure how that's going to end up. And we hear it often. As if God says, well, there is a sliding scale. The sliding scale is, hey, if you really are better than the majority of the people, oh, whoa, we're going to have a party. It's so cool. Eh. No, that's not it. Not that God is some creep, but God is holy and God is just and God desires deeply for each of us to have this intimacy. And so even though we think we can play around with God's precious word, God says, I need you to listen to me. Now, to help us stay focused in all of this story, I've encouraged you to participate by using the book, The Story. It's available in our lobby. We are just going through it. We're in chapter 11. We're going all the way through about 33 chapters. You can pick that up. The book costs $5. If you don't have that money, please just take the book anyway. Well, since we focused on the type of person that God doesn't want as a leader, we're going to focus. Oh, you are in for an amazing story. We are going to focus on a man who, well, was after God's own heart. Let's pray first. Father, we just ask you, in spite of this familiar story, we ask you, God, that you would do something supernatural in our lives that we would clearly see your love 
and your desire for us to live abundantly. And that, Father, that means we need a relationship and we need to obey. God, would you help us see this clearly today? Would you move in a supernatural way? Encourage, convict, strengthen. Lord, we know there's a whole lot of churches going on right now, and, and your word is being given, and we pray for all the churches, all the fellowships, all the speakers, all those who are worshiping you right now, that they might draw closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me tell you the story of David and then gather some critical truths at the end. If you would, turn your Bibles again to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel 15. At the very end of chapter 15, going into chapter 16, verse 1, the author writes this. Well, let me just give you one very quick background. Samuel was the prophet at this time. He was working with Saul, and he was the one who anointed Saul. He was the one who really went in Saul's face over and over and said, you're not listening, you need to listen to God. And this is a commentary by Samuel. Verse 35, Samuel never went to meet with Saul again. But he had mourned constantly for him. And the Lord was sorry that he even made Saul king of Israel. Chapter 16, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, You have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as the king of Israel. So go fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. Basically, God took Samuel aside and said, I know you're hurting. I know that you have been praying. I know that you want more for Saul and you want more for Israel. I understand that. But he is not going to change and we are going to move forward. We are going to have a king that I'm going to choose this time. A king that, well, reflects me a little bit better. A king that, well, spends time with me. Something Saul didn't do. So he sends Samuel out with his flask of oil to the house of Jesse. And he goes to Jesse's home. And there are eight boys that live there. And in verse 7 of chapter 16, but the Lord said to Samuel, oh, let me, let me say this before I read that. As Samuel walks into town, everybody knows who he is. And he goes to Jesse's house. And he tells Jesse basically, you know what? We are going to choose the next king from your sons. I don't know how Jesse felt at that moment. I don't know if, uh, you know, maybe his chest got a little bit bigger. He said, whoa, <laughs> this is kind of cool. 
Well, let's meet the boys. And he brings out the firstborn, the eldest, the one that looks amazing. In fact, Samuel tells us, it looks like the right guy. This is probably who we should anoint. This looks like the next good king of Israel. And God says, no, it's not the right king. It's not the right guy. And Samuel's kind of wondering. And, and God says this in verse 7. Don't judge by his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at his heart. Well, Samuel quickly goes through all the rest of the six brothers, and, and nothing happens. God says, none of those guys. And he looks at Jesse and he says, do you have any other sons? And literally in the scripture it says, yes, I have a runt. And he's out watching the sheep. A runt? Seriously? God, God did, um, we went through the six, you know, the seven boys that night. Are, are you serious? I'm going to... Well, he said, go bring him. Go bring him. Bring him here. And in verse 13, So David stood there among his brothers. Samuel took the flask of olive oil and anointed David with oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned home. <laughs> Let me remind you, not only was David probably a runt, as he stood next to his other seven brothers, he was the youngest, there was no doubt. But his task was to literally watch the sheep. That wasn't really an honorable position, but it was the position that he had, all right? We also know that David, almost every biblical scholar will say, probably was about 16 years old at this time. So he's a 16-year-old, out watching sheep. His father sends him in, and everybody sees. They're right there. This is the guy. This is going to be the next king of Israel. You could hear the gasp in the room. Are you kidding? I've grown up with this guy. I see him. I know who this is. And every one of the brothers had to look down and say, well, what's wrong with me? How come I'm not the one chosen? I'm not sure what happened after that. I don't know if David got made fun of. I don't know any of the other details because the scriptures really don't talk a whole lot about it. But David's reputation started to spread in all of the kingdom. And this was his reputation. David was a warrior who could play the harp. <laughs> Again, I am not sure of your image of a harp player. All right? Maybe we can shake it up a little bit and let's say at least guitar. All right? 
So here he was. He was a warrior. He was a soldier. He could play the guitar. But the thing that followed him everywhere was this. The Lord is with him. So wherever David went, this 16-year-old somehow had the reputation, well, he spent time with God. The Spirit of God lived in him. The Spirit of God showed David how to act at this moment. Oh, wow. King Saul understands this and invites David to his palace to serve the king. And so at this time, both David serves the king and then goes home and serves his dad and goes back and forth and splits up his time between home and the palace. Meanwhile, Israel is paralyzed. Israel is at war with uh, Philistia. These Philistines. So many of you know this story. So many of you have told this story. But one day, one day, um, Jesse came to David said, Hey, I'd, I'd like you to go take some food to your brothers, your three oldest brothers who are on the front line. Well, what David didn't know before he got there is there was this giant. His name was Goliath. He was a nine-foot-tall Philistine warrior. And for the last 40 days, he would walk out in the Valley of Elah and have um, this boisterous holler out and begin to taunt. And the deal was this. Hey, instead of us all getting bloody, instead of us all fighting, instead of all of us going that route, why don't we do this? Why don't you just send out your best man? He'll fight me. Whoever wins. And by the way, this isn't like tic-tac-toe. All right? This is whoever ends up alive. Well, the other I mean, what, what will happen is that everyone will then surrender. It'll be much, well, better plan. And he would go there, this nine-foot giant being able to, well, badger the Israelites. Well, David comes. He sees this. He starts asking questions, questions that actually tick off his older brother. Now remember, though, that David was seeing something different than, well, nobody else was seeing. The Lord was with him. They all saw a giant. They all saw this massive warrior. They all saw someone that, well, probably could never be defeated. But David didn't see that. David had God living in him. David had different perspective completely. And the scripture says this. He literally goes to Saul and says, I will fight Goliath. Now, we have all seen some arrogant 16-year-olds, right? You've seen that. Ones that know everything. One that knows it all. You know, all that kind of stuff. And I don't even know if King Saul kind of had this little perspective. He knew of David. But this guy comes up in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 32. David says this, Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Listen to Saul's response. Don't be ridiculous. 
dude, you're 16. Come on. You cannot do this. There's no way, Saul says, that you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's a man of war since his youth. Verse 34, but David persisted. Now, again, I I just have to stop right there. You're standing before the king. You've volunteered to go fight him. You've insisted that, okay, I can really do this. But you're not getting the confidence vote. You, You know what I mean? It's not even coming close. But David doesn't stop. He's relentless. He goes, hey, wait a minute, Saul. You don't understand this. I've been watching my father's sheep. And at that moment, I'm sure Saul goes, Oh, that gives me great confidence. I am so glad you're going to go against this guy, and you are a shepherd. Whoa, 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 let me tell you what happened. There's a bear that came. There's a lion that came. They didn't even have a chance. My God gave me the strength, and I took care of them. And to be quite honest, that guy, Goliath, there's no match. It's not even an issue. It's not even a problem. What is so cool to me is that a 16-year-old, for the most part, is telling a seasoned warrior, one that, well, knew of God, had walked with God some of his life, saw God move in some areas, but he had a completely different perspective of God than Saul did. How cool is that? Saul finally acquiesces. And so he says this, okay, if you're going to go, let's put on the armor. And you guys all know the story. He puts on the armor. He can't move with the armor. It's Saul's armor for one thing. It's way too big. He's not used to the armor and basically says, no, I'm not used to this. I don't want this. Now, the scriptures do not tell us of any strategy right now. doesn't. But we learn of the strategy in just a moment. And he says, okay, I'm going to go pick up five rocks. I'm going to bring my sling. And I'm going to have God. Okay. Five rocks, a sling, and I've got God on my side. It just so happens. I have Willie and the slingers here. Willie, come on up here. Willie. Now, you know what? You guys, you've all heard of this whole slingshot thing. You've all heard how this one stone went to the uh, forehead of the giant and he went right down. We've all seen stories. And if you look at this, it's a little scary guy. Okay, I'm, I'm telling you, there's a lot of artwork out there. But this guy looked to me like the scariest of all the scary guys that I could find. All right. And here's David with a sling and a stone. Now, some of you, again, this is not a wrist rocket. We all see movies where snipers will be able to wipe out someone at 2,000 yards. Like, really? Okay. I'm thinking David was maybe 15, 20 feet away by the time, you know? Maybe a little bit longer. And we have some expert... David S's here, all right? And I just want you to know, I am going to pretend I'm Goliath. And this is going to be my forehead. 
Let's just even see if they can come close to my forehead. And then we're going to see how big of a miracle this is. Okay, girls, let me have it. Come on, come on, come on. Whoa. That's working well. I think both of you need to do it at the same time because this is going to take forever. Oh! Are you serious? Hey, just so you know, Goliath doesn't have a problem right now, okay? Here we go. All right, Willie, it's up to you, buddy. Here we go. <laughs> One more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks. Thank you very much. Folks, David runs toward Goliath. 16-year-old David runs toward Goliath. Yes, he's seen God work. Yes, we know he has spent time with God. Yes, he knows that his God is a powerful God. But you know what? A lot of us know God is a powerful God, right? But something changed. He was willing to take it and go. Whoa. Well, you know the story. The stone hits the right spot. Goliath falls down. He literally takes Goliath's sword and chops off Goliath's head, holds the head up, and instantly... He is a hero. If, again, it was Twitter or whatever, 16-year-old dude kills Goliath, you know, and you see the little picture there with the head up there. Wow. Well, the Scriptures tell us that David continues to be absolutely successful in everything he did. Not because he was a good shot, and not because he like, was as good as these guys, okay? Because he was way better than those guys. But what I'm telling you is this, is that literally, because God was with him, he walked with God. He was successful in everything that he did. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 14, David continued to succeed in everything he did. And the Lord was with him. Well, this ticked Saul off, and he became jealous, and literally the Bible tells us that he became David's enemy. David, at this point in the story, literally becomes a fugitive and makes his home in the wilderness of En Gedi. He gathers an army of discontented people of about 600 and there are stories as you read through 1 Samuel and into 2 Samuel where, again, Saul is relentlessly pursuing David. And all David does is grace Saul. You see, another mark is that David really had respect for authority. He understood it wasn't his time. The scriptures tell us, in fact, in 1 Samuel 24 and 1 Samuel 26, two times, David had a chance to literally kill Saul. 
And he basically chose not to do it. Because he said to his men, and he believed himself, he said, this is God's anointed. God is going to take care of this. Even though I have been anointed, even though I am going to be the next king, I personally am not going to be the one to kill Saul. Well, the scriptures tell us in the end of 1 Samuel chapter 31 that Saul and his sons go into battle and they, bo- they all die. At that moment, Israel basically goes into chaos. And as 2 Samuel begins, the king on Saul's side, his son Ishboseth, Ishboseth, he becomes king. And then there's David, who's also king. And for the next few years, what happens is that Saul's family gets weaker and weaker and weaker, and David's uh, monarch gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And finally, Israel comes together. David is inaugurated 14 years after he's anointed. Wow. He knew he'd be king. But somehow he trusted God, his timing for everything. Well, one of David's first acts as a king, and this is so cool, he brings the Ark of the Covenant back. And many of you understand the Ark of the Covenant was a very, very special relic. It basically gave each of us the, um, the idea that God's presence was there. Wherever the Ark went, God was there. And what happened... In 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 5. David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord, singing songs, playing all kinds of musical instruments, lyres and harps and tambourines, castanets and cymbals. But when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, the oxen stumbled. And Uzziah reached out his hand to steady the ark of God. Then the Lord's anger was roused against Uzziah. And he died right there. The ark. David was now king. David was excited to bring in the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem where it ought to be. He was dancing. He was so excited. People were celebrating. This was a good time. But all of a sudden, the oxen stumbles and the Ark begins to move. And a man puts out his hand and he The scriptures tell us in verse 8, David was angry. What's going on? He had forgotten that that's not how you carry the ark. It was really clear that you carry the ark with poles. And the Levites were to carry this ark. But he wasn't doing it the way God had commanded. The ark stayed in this place for about three months. And after the three months, the scriptures tell us 
that David recognized what had happened. He did. He knew he needed to be completely obedient. And some of you are saying, well, well, David didn't obey completely, and, and he didn't get his throne taken away, and Saul didn't obey. What's going on? I don't understand all of how God works. But there must have been something different with what Saul did than what David did. Anyway, if you look, 2 Samuel chapter 6, look at verse 12. So David went there, brought the Ark of the Covenant from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with great celebration. After the men who were carrying the Ark of the Lord had gone six steps, David sacrificed a bull and a fatted calf. And David danced before the Lord with all of his might, wearing a priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the Ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of the ram's horns. And again they blew. And the shofar blew again and again and again. That is about the ugliest sound in the world, isn't it? But we are okay, okay, okay. Oh, boy. Give a guy a shofar and he never stops, you know? (laughs) There was great rejoicing. There was unbelievable joy that was going on because God... His present was back in Jerusalem. Well, the problem was, as David danced, he was exuberant. His wife, Michael, looked out and was absolutely disgusted that David would, well, show this emotion and show this excitement and lower himself to maybe those of a a normal person. A king ought not to act like this. But David, (laughs) David let his wife know. He says, you know something? My God is great. My God is awesome. My God, in fact, my God, I am, I am absolutely uninhibited when I worship my God. And I may look silly, and I may look wrong, and I may look well and act like a king shouldn't act. But my God is worthy of worship. You know, I look at David And although we didn't cover every area, what I'd like to do, we saw Saul and we saw, well, what kind of leader God didn't want. Let's look at a leader that that God did want. God desires a leader, first of all, that walks with him. God desires a leader that walks with him. A leader who has a rich relationship with himself. A leader that maybe people, well, by looking at him or her, wouldn't pick. They may not have the greatest ACT score. It may not be the most skilled. But apparently, 
This leader knew what was important. And David spent time with God. You see, David knew God, and I want to keep going back to this, in an amazing way at age 16. He had spent time with God. He knew God. He loved God. And it was already apparent that was his reputation. He would walk into the room and people would say, God is with him. He had an accurate view of God. He had a history of God's faithfulness. He did. He had already been out there. He recognized who God was. In fact, he was confident in the tools that God gave him. Isn't it cool? I mean, man's tools were armor, swords, all the other things, javelins, which were usually pretty good tools if you're going to war. But David had never had any of that instruction. All he knew is I have a slingshot. And I'm really good at the slingshot. And I know that with God's help, I'm going to be able to take down this giant. It's amazing what happens when we recognize whatever tools God gives us can make a huge difference. I'd like you to watch this Apple computer ad that just came out this Christmas. And you'll see why in a sec. Wake up and smell the coffee Is your cup half full or empty? When we talk, you say it softly But I love it when you're awfully quiet mm. You see a piece of paper Could be a little greater Show me that you can make her
You know, I think sometimes we think using rocks in a slingshot is pretty insignificant. But when God asks you to use your gifts, whatever your gift is, you affect so many different people. David knew the battle was God's. All he had to do is use whatever gift that God had given him, and he would make a kingdom impact. Second thing a man after God's own heart did is trust him. It trust him. It was 14 years between the anointing and the inauguration. I'll tell you, that's a long time. And oftentimes, you know, even as he's getting chased by Saul, and even as he's hiding in caves, and even when he had the opportunity to take out his enemy, how many of us would have done that? We could have justified it. It's so cool. David, this young man, learned to trust God. I'm going to listen to you, God. I'm going to listen to your timing. I'm going to trust you because you are worthy. You are king. Another thing, and it was so clear, that a man after God's own heart does is worship God. In fact, passionately worships. Passionately worships. There is no God like you. I read this text. And I'm not kind of a pastor that's got the moves, if you know what I mean. You know? A rhythm and beat and all this kind of stuff. It's, uh, I clap at the wrong clap. Is that possible? That's what I do. But there is something about knowing God and actually not caring when you clap or when you don't clap. It's just being so grateful and so enamored with who God is. And David dances before the Lord and perhaps even looks silly. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 22, this is what David talks. This is how David's response is to God. How great are you, O sovereign God? There is no one like you. We have never heard of another God like you. What other nation on earth is like like your people, Israel? What other nation, O God, have you redeemed from slavery to be your own people? Oh, God, no one is like you. The last thing that I saw that reflected this man of God is that he serves him. He serves him. You know, I think, again, um, he served him all different ways, all the way throughout his life. But he started off with a slingshot. And after that, He began to go in places wherever God told him to go. 
Ah, how wonderful. He served his God with the God. He served his God, excuse me, with the tools that God has given him. You see, David was a godly man before he was a king. He was a man after God's own heart. And in Acts chapter 13, the Apostle Paul is preaching. And he's going over some of Israel's history. And he says this, the Apostle Paul, Acts 13, 22. But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I ask him to do. Ultimately, a man or a woman after God's own heart is one that knows God so very, 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 very well. That that person loves God and has a relationship with God. That God, he knows, she knows him so well. Spends time with him. And as a result, worships and serves him. You know, at the end of our story, we we look at just a few quick things. And one is the upper story where we focus on God and maybe some new new perspective of God. And that is God looks at the heart. God looks at the heart. He knows us. He does. And he desires deeply for each of us to follow. We also know that God is holy. We get confused sometimes, and and yet it's because God is holy. And because Jesus died on the cross, shed his blood, redeemed us, and paid our debt so we also could be holy and have access with him. But the lower story, the story about us, is all about walking with him, trusting him, worshiping him, and serving him. You know, there's a little danger when you teach or you preach a story that's so very, very familiar. And I get that. I do. But one of the things that my prayer as I prepared this would be, would you be drawn? Would you see our God differently somehow? And after seeing him so differently, would you be courageous enough to trust him in whatever he says or whatever he asks you to do? Would you maybe worship him different because of who you see? And would you begin to serve him with whatever God has given you? Even if it's just slinging a stone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for all that you've done. We thank you for the God that you are. We thank you that you are powerful and can take our, our sling-throwing gifts. And because of your power, defeat the enemy. Lord, we thank you 
for gracing us, for loving us. We also thank you, Father, if we're honest, for you being patient with us. Because I look at David's life and I look at some of the things that David did. And I desire to be there, God. I do. I want to know you more every day. I want to trust you unbelievably. I want to worship you with abandon. And I want to serve you with all my heart. Help us in this journey, Father. In your name.